0: De <laughs> Hello and welcome to the The Sandy Podcast. I'm your host, San May Jr. Follow me on the Elon app at The Sandy, that's T-H-E-E-S-A-M-D. Podcast is also up there at The Sandy Podcast, all one word. Subscribe rate to the podcast, five stars nonetheless, tell a friend, If you're no longer down with the Elon app, trust me, I get it. I mean, where else are you really going to go at this point? But salute. I'm at The SamD Podcast on the Zuckerberg app and the China app. For all content, audio and visual, hit up thesamd.com. Subscribe to the YouTube page. Link is in the description, whether you're watching this on the audio side or the video side. Subscribe to the YouTube page. Link is right down there in the uh, description. Musical production done by May 1st Music. Support him at soundcloud.com slash May Music. Well, I guess uh, Oh, y'all. Some kind of explanation, right? <laughs> I mean, I guess, right? Like, it's been months. You know what I'm saying? I'm sure some people are like, yo, is he done? Is he out the game? No, no. Life be in, as I'm sure a lot of y'all can attest to in these times. But life indeed was in for your boy. So, if you're on the video side, you may notice this does not look like the background that I'm normally using. This isn't a Zoom background. It's not anything like that. This is a whole other room. Not only is it a whole other room, it's a whole other apartment. Not only is it a whole other apartment, it's a whole other building. Not only is it a whole other building, it's a whole other complex. Not only, not only is it a whole other complex, it's a whole other state. <laughs> yeah. So I was in Dirty Jerz, got up out of Dirty jurors, and I am way up north now. Not Canada North, although would not be mad at that. Salute to Toronto. If you know, you know, Caravanna. Um, But, somewhere in between, somewhere in between. And as a born New Yorker, as someone that was, you know, adopted by jurors, why would I bounce? Well, I bounced because I got a gig. And I got a better gig. And, you know, why was a better gig? Because at one point there was no gig. (laughs) There was no gig. Yeah. For for those who don't know, you know, some of these uh, media layoffs, there's been a bunch of them. Every company you could imagine has gone through media layoffs and your boy was swept up in one of those. But, you know, thankfully, I was able to hold it down, keep the bread right. That's why I got to protect your chicken, protect your chicken because of times like that. So my chicken was protected. And I was able to hold myself down until I got a gig. And I did I did get a new gig and had to make the move. And that's been the the transition over these last few months. So, you know, I wouldn't just disappear just off the strength. I disappeared for good reason. So that's why I was gone. And, you know, the new gig is a new gig. And hopefully I won't have to get rid of, and I had to get rid of a lot of stuff just just in the terms of moving. But, you know, in terms of how I do this podcast, because of where I'm at now, people have been asking me, are you going to change? Are you going to switch up how you give it up? Because... You know where I'm at now? Well, i let Melo sell it. I think I had the right drop here. Watch ESPN and I don't watch ESPN. I don't oh, watch that Oh, uh, that's not the right drop. I thought that was a different drop. <laughs> I don't, on, I don't watch ESPN. Come on, Melo. I that shit. Melo, give me a I'll break, man. I I don't I don't watch Mello, ESPN can you at least, for the games sake, for the games, just for the games, ESPN you don't want to watch, you no know, studio shows, I don't, I don't got nothing ESPN ESPN to do with that, but the games I don't, though, I don't can you help a brother out, you know ESPN what I'm saying, checks are coming in, we kind of need those to keep coming along, alright, salute on the pop by the way, alright, so anyway, yes, if if you can't read between the lines, that's where, I don't watch ESPN, I don't watch that shit, four letter network, your boy, I don't watch ESPN, and I don't, I don't watch that shit, so anyway, There's me telling you how life has been lifing. So hopefully those who have been accustomed to the content know I went away. Now I'm back. I will be dropping weekly pods again. The video side for the YouTube stuff, we're still trying to navigate how often I could pop on and do live streams. Definitely can't be doing timeline T every day like I was at one point, but definitely will be back in the mix laying down content um, now that everything has kind of settled itself. New crib, same takes. A shit change. So let's get into Lamar Jackson's MVP. Lamar Jackson is your 2023-2024 most valuable player in the National Checkdown League. Yes, the NCDL. The CDL. You know what I'm saying? The Checkdown League of the National Checkdown League. What y'all call the NFL, the National Football League. That's where we at now. No matter what you want to say, no matter whether you're Arthur Blank. Ron Rivera, whoever you wanted to be. Even the Ravens themselves low-key. It doesn't matter. The man has gone out here and has hooped in a major way. But it's not like how it was in 2019. In 2019, when he took the MVP and it was the AP MVP, he was the Football writer, MVP, offensive player of the year, all this type of stuff. It was done dynamically. That's where, you know, the whole thing of Action Jackson came into play because he was running, he was throwing, he was eluding people. Some people were still calling him a running back. There was a lot of controversy. It was a very polarizing opinion when Lamar Jackson was running through dudes that 2019 year. Well, now he's not necessarily running through dudes, but he's still getting high level results. And the team is stacked. The team has lost J.K. Dobbins. The team has lost Mark Andrews. Yet and still, they sit atop the AFC. They sit atop the AFC as one of the best teams, if not the best team, in the entire National Checkdown League. This is where we're at now. Let's go ahead right into the screen here. And we're gonna look this up again. If you're not on the visual side, I will read as much as I can to you. But look, let's get right into it 11 and 3 record, 66% completion percentage, 3,105 yards, 17 touchdowns against seven interceptions through 14 games for one Lamar Jackson. Now let's go ahead to that 2019 mystical, magical MVP season. So 15 games, remember. 13 and 2, 265 completions out of 401 attempts. Let's go down to this year 266 completions with 401 attempts. So, through one less game, he's already at the same production from the magical, mystical, magical 2019 MVP season. Completion percentage 61.66.1 in 2019. This year, 66.3. Are you sensing a theme here? Through 15 games in 2019, 3,127 yards. 2023 through 14 games, 3,105 yards. Are you sensing a theme here? Now, the touchdowns are obviously different. 36 touchdowns, passing to 17. But when I say again, they lost J.K. Dobbins week one. A few weeks ago, they lost Mark Andrews. And he's still with this team at 11-3, and three, putting up similar numbers to his MVP season of 2019. Odell has looked good as a number two. Your man's... Bateman has finally showed us something, especially over the back half of the season. First half of the season, he was still missing in action, but now he has slowly immersed himself to finally step into be something of what we were assuming he was, what we told he was from last year into this year. And then we got to talk about that Raven defense. But this isn't really about the Raven defense, although we can we could definitely talk about them. And I definitely have talked about them, especially on YouTube throughout the whole, you know, offseason, preseason and all of that. But when it comes to Lamar, Lamar is so polarizing. Lamar has been a lightning rod when he got that contract. Everyone in a mama. Was I was in the camp of he should have got more money. I think he should have went for that fully guaranteed. I think he could have got that off. But now when you see what's happened with Nasty Man, maybe maybe it was smart to just go ahead and take the system deal. Maybe. But in regards to Lamar was such a polarizing figure this offseason, because the minute they put that tag on him, that restricted franchise tag on him, everybody and their mama came out and said, we don't want him. Every front office, every GM, damn near every owner came out their mouth, tripping, falling over themselves to announce all in unison, we don't want Lamar. And they found every reason in the book. He's not a real, he's not a top flight QB. He's not elite. His playing style was injury prone. His playing style will lead to being injured you can't survive playing that way. Well, let's look at the QBs in his division. We're going to go ahead to the AFC North. Let me go go ahead and look it up. Cleveland, they're on their fourth quarterback, Joe Flacco. Cincinnati, they got Jake Browning out there cuz Joe Burrow's done. And Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh had to go back to Mitchell, Trubisky, and Mason Rudolph. All those QBs (laughs) fell down and went boom. Yet the last one standing is the one that everyone and their mama was saying all offseason. People with high credibility in the national check down league. They're all the ones that said he's injury prone. His style, you cannot last in this league playing that way. How come they weren't saying that about Joe Burrow? How come they weren't saying that about nasty man Deshaun Watson? How come they weren't saying that about Kenny Pickett? Three of the QBs have, all the other QBs in his division fell down and went boom, yet the last one standing is the one that everyone said is the most prone to injury. Now, even though historically this hasn't been the most hurt season for QBs, it looks like starting QBs are falling down left and right. This optically looks like one of the worst seasons ever to be a starting quarterback. And it truly looks to be like it's going to be whoever has the most healthy roster is going to capture the Super Bowl. It's not even really about are you the best team? It really is about are you the most healthy team? Whoever's going to hoist that Lombardi is probably going to be the most healthy team. Right now, we could probably say the two best teams are the Ravens and the 49ers. But we saw what happened to the 49ers when Purdy fell down and went boom. We know historically what has happened to the Ravens when Lamar hasn't been there. They can scratch and claw their way, but they're not a contender. Now with Lamar back to playing at damn near a 2019 pace, they look to be the best team in the AFC. You could talk to me about Miami, but Tyreek Hill has started to show some injuries to a Tunga Bailoa. We know how injury-prone he is. Do you really want to trust that to last for at least two more months? That's the whole thing. Whose roster can hold up for two months? If you really want to get specific, really about six weeks. Who's got six weeks left in them of relatively good health? That's what this all comes down to. And when you're scrolling and trying to like really navigate this, the Lions have shown cracks. And those cracks were first exploited by Humpst, the Baltimore Ravens. At the end of the day, Jared Goff is still Jared Goff. Ben Johnson is is one of those. He's one of the top five best play callers in the National Checkdown League. But even he can't overcome the fact that he still has Jared Goff at QB. The 49ers, we talked about them. They are Brock Purdy injury away. All the weapons in the world. But if Purdy goes down, we've seen it. The Chiefs here at 9 of 5. I remember, you know, leading into this season. I was like, yo, the Chiefs are not the same. They got it off. They won the chip. They got it off. But they stole that. They stole that chip. If Bradbury wouldn't have been holding so damn much, they lose that Super Bowl. So the Chiefs aren't one of them. They've been exposed to the point where you don't even put them in the mix. Sure, Mahomes and Kelsey could get hot at the right time. Maybe they could steal a game. Maybe two. Depending on the matchup. But are they going to get the Lombardi? I don't think so. I've been saying that. That's documented. You can look it up. The AFC South, we're not taking nobody serious, even though there are three teams, three teams that are eight and six in the AFC South. D'Amico Ryans, salute. Lovey Smith, salute for tanking that last game or making sure you didn't take that last game. And that set everything up for them. Lovey deserves if if D'Amico Ryans gets gets the coach of the year award, I think he's got to give some of that to Lovey. I'll just go ahead and put, put that out there. He's, he's, he's got to give a little sliver. He's got to give a shout out to Lovey. Lovey, put, put him in position because they avoided Bryce Young. And then you've got to look at the Buffalo Bills. Look, the Bills are a team that has been decimated by injuries, especially on defense, and you're not really sure what to make of them. But here's one thing that will always be true. No one wants to go up to, you know, Western New York this time of the year. No one wants to go up there. And when you have that, you know, when you have that enigma, that is Josh Allen, where one minute he looks to be the guy that they they keep forcing us to think he is, and then the next minute he looks like the guy that we all know he is, you can't really contend with that. Stephon Diggs, there's rumors he wants out, then the next week there's rumors he doesn't want out that he's going to re-up after the season. You can't really keep up with what's going on in Buffalo. And the fact that McDermott, who has done a lot of stuff, and I wish I had all this ready to go when McDermott was out here wowing about 9-11, if you know, you know. Um, and if you don't know, then let me know and I'll talk about it on a, on a future episode. But McDermott was out here wowing about 9 11. And then, you know, James Cook goes out there and they finally predicate and dedicate themselves to the run game and give James Cook the carries that he needs, the carries that they drafted him to be. And then you saw the results. And they could go give the game ball to Josh Allen. He was 7 of 15. What's it, what, 90-something yards? 95 yards? 7 of 15? 95 yards? He gets the game ball over James Cook, who put up a a buck, what, a buck 40? On 25 carries? That is the sport of football in a nutshell. Running backs are so diminished that they could go out there and be the bell cow back. Now I need the actual numbers. Let's go ahead and get the specific numbers. Because that was insane to me. I I thought I was like, I thought somebody was trolling. You know, you know, we're just ignoring the fact that they just put a whooping on the Cowboys because the Cowboys are the Cowboys. And You notice in terms of my contenders are breaking them down. We didn't mention the Cowboys and we also didn't mention the Eagles because we know that, that that's not going to be a thing. James Cook went out here. Where are we at? James Cook, 179 yards on 25 carries. And then another 42, 200-plus yards, all-purpose, in two tutties. Josh Allen went out here and threw for 94 yards and was 7 of 15. And Sean McDermott, keeping to the, to the truism that is football, gives the game ball to Josh Allen. I mean, that's why running backs will never get paid ever again. That's Exhibit A, your honor. Of why running backs have been devalued and diminished. When Josh Allen can't even throw for 100 yards and he's given a game ball by his head coach, when the running back was allowed to be a running back and got 25 carries, knowing the toll that's gonna to take on his body, was given the ball 25 times and he gives you damn near 180 on the ground and another 40 through the air, he can't even get a game ball. And if you saw the video, your man's Josh Allen looked like he did no parts of that. Your man's Josh Allen looked like he wanted no parts of that game ball. Like even he knew, like, why is he giving this to me? But again, when you're Sean McDermott and you're out here and you're leveraging 9-11 to rally the troops in 2023. Yeah, you're giving a game ball to a quarterback that couldn't even throw for 100 yards in a blowout victory. So if we're getting into. What has this NFL season been? It's been really mid, yo. Are we really going to keep it a buck and talk about how bad this season has been? And it's not even the injuries. We could talk about the injuries. We could definitely go down the rabbit hole of how many guys have been hurt, how many guys have been, you know, missed games and et cetera, et cetera. The Aaron Rodgers thing we thought was going to be a thing and then it ended up not being a thing because of four snaps in, you know, on that horrible turf that met life. And the porous offensive line, you know, he tears his Achilles or whatever or his ACL or whatever. But the main thing is that it's the quality of the play in the games. I'm calling it the CDL League for a reason because it's the National Checkdown League. Like every time instead of running the ball, they'd rather throw flanker wide receiver tight end screens than running the damn ball. It's maddening when sometimes I'm watching red zone and I think I'm watching a game, but then it's three or four games where I think I'm watching the same game because every drop I see the same thing. I'm seeing wide receiver screens, flanker screens, tight end screens, all throwing the ball behind the line of scrimmage. Are you so afraid to attack the field that you have to get rid of the ball so quickly? Is your offensive line so porous is the offensive line? In the C.D.L. league, is it so porous that you have to get rid of the ball in one second just to feel confident about potentially having a positive play on first, second that a uh, first and second down? Has it come to that? Because it certainly seems that way. When every game I watch on red zone, it's a bunch of check downs. Everywhere I look, it's a flanker screen. Everywhere I look. I've been trying to avoid the bears and thankfully red zone does a good job of avoiding the bears. Cause why would they? But there, they seem to be the most egregious DJ Moore, wide receiver screen, Darnell Mooney, Cole commit. Everyone's getting little screens. And that's why the completion percentages are so high. And that's why we have to start doing new math to kind of understand what makes a QB a good QB because the metrics used to be completion percentage because that meant accuracy. But I mean, now that doesn't mean accuracy. It just means, you know, l- l- let me, let me go ahead back here to the screen. Go ahead back to the screen. Let me look up the completion percentage. Let's see who has the highest completion percentage. And if we consider those QBs to be good QBs, let's see. Yards completion, past completed, past completion. Okay. All right, here's your top 10. Tua is at 71% completion percentage. Brock Purdy at 69.8, we round up 70%. Kirk Cousins with only eight games, still 69, we round up 69.5, that's 70%. Then we got Dak. Then we got Mahomes. Then we got Derek Carr. No better reason for this than right here. Derek Carr is top six In completion percentage. Does that mean Derek Carr is actually good? Y'all let me know. Jared Goff right behind him. So when you're looking at Lamar's top 10, by the way, for all the people that hate on Lamar, he's top 10. And one of the metrics y'all hold high and dear to y'all hearts, right next to Joe Burrow and Josh Allen, there's your man's Lamar. Jared Goff. Right behind Derek Carr. Doesn't that merit something? Isn't that something to kind of put together? Like, yeah, Derek Carr and Jared Goff are back to back in completion percentage. Yeah, completion percentage means shit if that's the case. Jalen Hurts is outside the top 10, 66%. Jay Herbo got favorite. Mac Jones is only two tenths of a percentage point behind Justin Herbert. completion percentage. And he's only eight-tenths of a percentage uh, point behind Jalen Hurts. So, again, does completion percentage matter? Does it mean the same it used to mean 10 years ago, 15, 20 years ago, when they were actually throwing the ball down the field? Even though those offenses were run-dominated, when they did pass, it was vertically attacking the defense. Now that... Everyone is checking down because everyone is afraid because the offensive lines are so horrible, apparently. That, you know, the the metric now is two and a half seconds. That's that. That's the barometer. You have to get the ball out by two and a half seconds. Well, now with all these check downs, it's not even two and a half seconds. It's literally half a second or a second. QB gets the rock. He's immediately turning and throwing that rock. Getting get this thing away from me. It's like a grenade, it's hot potato. Is this good football to watch? Cause to me it's not. It's the end of the year. And so that means it's time for bowl games. And when it comes to bowl games, you're now seeing the trend of there's a bunch of players that ain't trying to play in these games, bro. There's a bunch of players that are hitting that portal and are not trying to even play out these bowl games. Like back in the day, bowl games were something where that was a sense of pride. Like we worked this hard to get these six, seven, eight wins. We try and get this bowl game, dog. Like we trying to get into the sugar bowl to the cotton bowl to the Alamo Bowl, all these types of bowls that actually had some merit, but because anyone in a mama can do a bowl game and we're allowing teams that win six games, sometimes even less than that, into these games just for the look, everything's been watered down and the money has now come even more to the forefront. Now, let's be clear. Players are still not getting paid. Players are still not getting paid. Don't let Dabo and Saban and your man's prime out there. Don't let them try to get you hyped up that, oh, now everything has been solved. Players are now getting paid. So now we can get back to some sort of normalcy. No, 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 Only the cream of the crop is getting paid. Okay? That's a real thing. Only the top of the top is kind of similar to the economy here. Only the top 1% are benefiting from what you could conceivably call free agency. NIL is free agency. But guess what? There's no floor in this free agency. Whereas you can have free agency in other sports, and yes, the top guys are going to get the max if it's a a hard salary cap like in the NFL. You know what I'm saying? But if it's something like the NBA, players get the max and it's a real max. Top of the salary cap, a huge percentage of the salary cap. MLB, it's, 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 you know, Otani's out here for 700. 700 M's and he doesn't even have to pitch next year. Well, he physically can't, but it's, it's going is widely speculated that he might not even have to pitch and he's still got 700 M's. So while we're at this point where professional sports have free agency and professional sports have systems in place to where everybody gets paid. That is not the case in amateurism. That is not the case in college football. College quarterbacks get paid. And the top of the top. We're talking about a million and a million plus. A million to two million. These QBs are getting. That's more than Desmond Ritter, by the way. It's more than Desmond Ritter. You know what I'm saying? That's y'all man. So college quarterbacks are getting paid. And it incentivizes them to stay. That's the only way to get these people to stay. Because again, all this stuff is a job. When we keep talking about these things and I keep hearing debates go around and around and around of what's right, what's morally right, what's ethically right and what's logically right. And it really just comes down to these athletes are going to college to prepare themselves for a potential at applying for a job in the NFL. That's all that is. That's all college football is now way back when when you and I's grandparents first met it was, it meant different. It meant something different. There was pride. It was all about just the sense of college pride and putting on for your city, putting on for your university. Those days are long gone because the NFL has proven itself to be earning upwards of $27 billion in revenue. That changes the landscape of how you approach getting into the NFL. Now it's about, Oh, I need to go to college. And I need to put on when I'm in college so I can get into the NFL. That's a means to an end. There was a certain time where that was not a means to an end. That didn't even exist. So that was when college sports and college football in particular was thought to be, they got this folklore of just you put on for for the university. You put on for the name in the front, not the name on the back. That's why a lot of schools back in the day didn't even have names on the back because it wasn't about that. It was about the name on the front or the colors. Everyone knew who you were were repping for. Now it's all about the name on the back, okay? It is 1,000% all about the name on the back. Don't chat to me if I'm a top 10 QB recruit and you don't got seven figures lined up for me. But the issue is that that seven figures is not trickling down. If we're talking about free agency, and that's what NIL is likening itself to be, at least that's what these college coaches are trying to sell, and people in the media that are for college sports, they're trying to sell that NIL is the solve. It's not the solve. The third string center is not getting paid. There's no car dealership lining up. To give a bag to the third string center. Only the QB. Maybe a wide receiver or a running back. Maybe a defensive lineman. Maybe a, 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 a guy that is going to win some kind of award. But will be all conference if he's worth a damn. But it is not trickling down to the roster. That would be free agency. That would be everyone actually getting paid for their services. But instead, it's the rich get richer. The cream of the crop are the only ones that are able to benefit off the name and likeness. Now, you can make a case of, well, those are the ones that people know. Sure. But if you're trying to pay college athletes because college athletes are doing a job that generates revenue, not just for the university, but for the community that surrounds the university, then that third string center is entitled to a check, too. Now, certainly not millions like the, the the QB, but he deserves a check too. But if you really ration it out and break down the numbers of how much money is actually being doled out to college players, it is not a lot on average. I think it's it's under ten dollars per player if you really average it out. So while everyone is like, you know, everyone was losing their minds, nil. This is going to ruin the sport. Ruin the sport for whom? Last time I checked. Dabo's the only one that's still out here trying to fight the good fight, being anti-NIL. It was him and Saban initially. Him and Saban were talking that talk, and they were on the same type of time. But then Saban was like, oh, no, 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 no. I can't play those types of games here at Bama. They will get rid of you at Bama if you try to run up in there with non-wins. You will get gone. From Tuscaloosa, if you're out here trying to think you're going to survive, even as Nick Saban, the holy grail of holy grail in terms of college coaches, you will be getting up out the paint. They will be packing your shit if you consistently come up with eight, nine wins. So he's playing the game now. Your man's prime trying to go out here and act like he's not trying to play the game. He tried to talk that, you know, again, I call him black dabbo. All the rhetoric that we killed Dabo for, and I remember during the pandemic. And if you missed some of those, you can check back in the archives of the podcast. Like that was that was when it was audio only. But I remember getting that Dabo during the pandemic for the things that he was getting off. He was selling his hard luck story, and he's got a hard luck story. We talk about the trauma porn and stuff that be popping off when we get into um the, these draft night coverages and how the commentators love to. Talk about these hard luck stories. Dabo's got one of those. So I could understand his perspective of, oh, well, if I could make it, you could make it. But it doesn't work that way, Dabo. You're playing a different game. Your body's not on the line. You leverage your, your relationships and your networking and whatever acumen you have to get to where you've gotten. These players are, by and large, putting their bodies on the line, and that's the only thing that will get them to where they ultimately hope to get to. So it's a different game, right? So when we're talking about what NIL is actually doing, everyone is getting into Sanford Apple, and that's why Clemson has slowly started that decline. I mean, when's, when's the last time Clemson was relevant? When Trevor Lawrence was there? It's been a few years now. He's had some big names, they flamed out, or they shook the spot. So Dabo has shown, maybe he ain't what we thought he was, or what y'all told us he was when he was running out here with Deshaun Watson, nasty man, and then Trevor Lawrence. So what now is the scope of college football? Because it is clearly the wild, wild West, there is no governing body. There is no Roger Godell in college football to kind of regulate the madness that is going on where players are leaving left and right. Like dudes are walking away from bowl games and teams, teams are allowing dudes that are going to hit the portal to still play in these bowl games. Why would you do that? If you about to hit the portal, if you about to hit the portal, why would you leave? What? Why would you stay and play in a bowl game when you're is to hit that portal? Now, you can sell me on the notion of, well, I'm going to put up more good tape. Yeah, what if you don't, though? What if you get hurt, though? If you're trying to play the portal game, that means you're trying to get into some kind of situation where you can do better than where you currently are. What about playing in the bowl game where you're already mentally checked out because you're transferring? What part of the game is that that makes you think that's going to be beneficial for you? I don't know. I don't know who's advising most of these kids, but. You know, to me, something like that seems really, really weird to where I'm leaving, but I'm going to play out the last game. Nah, dogs, I'd rather you bounce. Like, if if I'm a coach or if I'm another player, like, dude, you're already out. Like, mentally, you're already gone. And that's fine. Salute. If you think you could flip and be better somewhere else, like, if you look at the Heisman Trophy, if if you look at the Heisman uh, finalist, three of the four were transfers. This is the sport now. I mean, low-key, it was always like this in a way. It was just underground. It was the underbelly. It was spoken about in circles and whispered whispered about. Now we're putting some of it out here. We're hearing that there's prominent schools, you know, putting bags up or leveraging their prowess in the community to get recruits or potential transfer portal candidates, man's in them out of jail. Y'all really think that's new? Y'all think this might be the first time a school has tried to leverage their influence and power to try to move somebody's family, friend, whatever, out the system? Coaches will hire family members to imaginary jobs just to secure a recruit. You think they won't go out there and make a call to the warden and say, hey, maybe let's move someone to the PC. (laughs) Come on, man. Come on, man. This is shammaturism at its highest order. But if we want to get into the breakdown of the actual Final Four, right? I think it's interesting how people are just, there's never, it's never enough. There's, let me be very clear. There is never going to be a foolproof way to decipher who is a true national champion in a sport of college, like college football. While the, the the basketball has March Madness and we accept the outcome of that because it's a tournament, it's, you know, survival of the fittest, yada, yada, yada. And they're trying to replicate some of that with college football It's vastly different. It's vastly different because by and large, the games are easier to play from a physical standpoint. Right? As this thing gets bigger and larger in terms of the college football playoff, it's really just going to be it's going to become like I talked about last segment with the NFL, where it's really just going to be whoever's healthiest. It's not even going to be generally who's actually better is going to be who's healthiest at the end of this. You think if we get to an eventual 12, 16 team playoff, injuries aren't going to be a factor. Hell, injuries are a factor now and it's only four teams. So it's only going to get magnified once we enlarge this thing, pause, once we move this thing to a larger format. And I'm here for it because, you know, we're at work now, so I'm not. <laughs> let, let's go ahead and keep this thing rolling. Your boy might even be working one of these well, one of these years. But, you know, the, the fact of the matter is that if we're trying to keep this thing going, if we're really trying to find a, a justifiable A way to decipher who is a a true national champion. None of this shit actually works because before this, it was what we had the BCS. Then we had we had AP. When I was growing up, we had AP poll rankings. We had two different polls deciding champions. You could have a tie. When I was growing up, you could have a tie as a national championship. And not a tie in terms of the score. A tie as into, well, this poll says one team won. This poll says another team won. All right, they're both co-champions. What part of the game is that? Okay, so there's no foolproof way. There's no foolproof way. There was the AP poll, then there was the coaches poll. That was a real thing that happened. Multiple times when I was growing up, there were co-champions. Okay, so you can't win either way. If you want to make it so this thing of, well, no, the, the if we go to a 14 format, we're always going to be arguing over who the fifth is. If we go to a 18 format, we're always going to be arguing over who is the ninth team. And if we go to 12, it'll be the 13th. And if we go to 16th, it'll be the 17th and so on and so on. There's people that be beefing when it's March Madness with, with, with the, the college basketball. And it's what, 64? Then we had to push it to 68. And then sometimes people are still beefing about who over who's 69. So this is never going to end. This is just what it is. So if we're going to play this out and try to find a way of how to really decipher what is the merit for deciding a national champion, you kind of just have to go with it what it is because there is no system. There is no real way to decide it. There's always going to be something, uh, 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 a crack in the armor that is going to throw off what your foolproof plan is. Because when you're looking at it this year, when you're talking about the teams, and let me go here to the screen for those who are on YouTube. Let's go ahead and pull this up, right? And this just goes into what I was talking about, like co-champions, right? No, Wikipedia, I don't want to donate anything. Let's go back to co-champions. Like, let me see, when was the last time we had a co-champion? 97 Michigan and Nebraska were both co-champions. 1997, they were both undefeated. Uh, The Michigan was the AP uh, champion and Nebraska was the USA Today champion. Okay, like this, this, this is a thing. We had 1991, the U and Washington, UW. 1990, Colorado and Georgia Tech. Like this is what it is. Like th- this is this is not necessarily, you know, recent memory, but not that long ago. That people like me who have lived a little bit can remember. Okay? We could even go to the whole UCF fiasco for 2017. UCF really felt they should have been in the mix. UCF really felt like, you know, even though Alabama was 13 and 1 and b- by every metric imaginable, the better team, UCF was 13 and 0. And that included a very impressive win in their bowl game. What was it against Auburn? So they felt they had every right to claim themselves as, as a co-champion. Because back in the day, if this was the poll system, they probably would have been co-champions with Bama. But if we're getting into this current one, right? This comes down to the schedule. It's all about the schedule. I'm, if, if you're listening to this, I'm going over the Michigan uh, schedule, right? And here is the trick now. The trick now is to do it the Michigan way. Now, I won't get into the whole Connor Stallings thing or whatever. I mean, but if, if you've been, if you, if you know how I how I get down, I've been doing hits with the homie Greg Larned on ESPN radio. Um, so and I've talked about it there. I promoted it on, on the timeline uh, at the SamD, if you want to check that out. But the main thing is this you can see a marketed difference in how Michigan has played. Once Connor Stalling started going Connor, okay. Once once he started, you know, writing down his signals and doing all of that, you saw a marketed difference in performance, and execution from the Michigan Wolverines. But we'll push all of that to the side, right? People are going crazy about, you know, Florida State being left out and the impact of injury. And is that in the bylaws of the uh, of, of the committee and all of that stuff? When really, I'm like, y'all are okay with just letting a team that blatantly got caught cheating and has been cheating for a minute. Y'all cool with them being the top dog in y'all play? Okay. Okay, say less. Say less. But here's why Michigan will always have a chance to be in a college football playoff. One, because they're Michigan and they can recruit, right? But two... They only have three games that matter every year because of their conference. Their conference is so trash and their scheduling of the non-conference schedule is so trash. And that's by design. And again, let me be clear. I'm not knocking it. It's taking advantage of the system. There's only two games. You could say three, depending on whether, you know, Penn State is good or maybe now Maryland has kind of creeped back up there to being quasi relevant in that conference But it really only comes down to two games a year. And sometimes just comes down to one game a year, the Ohio State game. But it's normally two to three games that really matter every year for Michigan. So as long as you run up that cupcake schedule in regards to the uh, non-conference schedule, then you're good money. They should be undefeated every year entering their last three games every year. They should be because it's designed for them to be that way. Where you're looking at a school like Alabama, and I let the website load, they learned a lesson. I don't think you'll ever catch Saban out here putting his neck on a line in a game like how he did against Texas. Look at all the things that had to happen for Saban to overcome taking that L versus Texas the second week of the season. All the things that had to break right. The Auburn game had to happen. That crazy comeback. The Georgia game had to happen. All those things had to happen where things had to break exactly right. The injury to the kid from Florida State had to happen to give Saban this opportunity. All because he put his neck out there and put his team on the road out there against the Longhorns in week two and took that L. With a QB that was still trying to figure it out and allegedly a coaching staff that was still trying to figure out how to use him. Saban will never do that again because I'm telling you, if Georgia could have gotten that off and gotten that dub and potentially get another Natty, the the hot seat would have been officially turned up on Nick Saban. And I know that sounds crazy, but you don't understand the history of Alabama and their football coaches. A Google search would do you well. And if we're talking about Georgia, look at their schedule. Now, we can't say it's a cupcake schedule because it's the SEC, but you certainly look at the non-conference, and you can certainly see where they were very selective in who they put out there. And this just wasn't the same type of dominant Georgia team that we have seen the last two years. We can go ahead and keep it a buck, right? We can we can understand that. Even though they went toe-to-toe with Bama, and however, however you feel about Bama, this wasn't the same type of squad. They got the horses. There's no doubt about that. They got future pros on both sides of the ball. There's no doubt about that. But in terms of the high quality, like how they've had the last two years, to me, I did not see the same type of talent that they've had. So it's not that surprising that they couldn't cross that finish line. It's not that surprising that, you know, now they're out here going to face Florida State and basically the loser of the playoff. Both teams are losers in that playoff are now going to face each other, Florida State for one reason, Georgia, because they took that L to Bama. I'm not surprised at how that team did not look the way that they have looked the last couple of years, right? Now, Texas is the interesting one because Texas should be in this mix every year because of where they are. Geography dictates they should be in this conversation every year. And I think they got the good draw against UW because UW... They're, they're a machine offensively, but there's some points to be had on that defense. So now, while you look at the Longhorns and obviously the signature wins, you have to look at the Bama one in week two, but you could write that off as it being early, right? But then with just winning the games, they had to win. They had to get that Kansas State win, even though it went to OT. The TCU win, I mean, them beat TCU, so that, that, that can't even be a, a, a signature win. But taking care of business and beating the teams you had to beat. Yeah, they took a misstep against Oklahoma, but that, that rivalry goes deeper than just, you know, talking about winning games on the schedule, right? So I think Texas is deserving. So I think, in, in essence, the committee got it right. And I tried to warn folks in them about how, look, man, if Alabama has a chance, the committee is going to put them in. I was loud about that, and I will always be loud about that. Like whether it was on you know ESPN Radio, whether we're talking back and forth with the homies, like, hey man, don't give Alabama a sliver of an opening. It's going to happen because Alabama is the Yankees. Say whatever you want, Sabins and national commercials, like the 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 pedigree of Bama. The pedigree of the Crimson Tide, the pedigree of Roll Tide, is a real thing, and it's a national—it's a national story, even though it is largely one that is that reaches a constant fever pitch 365 days a year in Tuscaloosa. It's a national phenomenon, the mythology of Alabama football, and Nick Saban is the latest king bearer of that. So that is going to be a national story. Why wouldn't the committee put the, put them in? Why should the committee put in Florida State that is on its backup QB as opposed to Nick Saban in Alabama? Are you actually fucking kidding me that y'all thought Florida State was actually going to be put in over Bama? Now, if the QB didn't get hurt, Now you're talking. Now this would be a humongous controversy. Because you could sell me on Florida State is more deserving with its starting QB. And, you know, because of where I work at now, I've been hearing a lot of takes. A lot of them are bad. A lot of them are inaccurate. And it's just a lot of talk about, well, that's not even the bylines. It is literally in the bylaws of the committee that they can and will judge a team's potential to be in the playoff based off injuries. So yes, if a team like Florida State that was undefeated, a team in Florida State that beat LSU even though ultimately that win doesn't look as good as it once did, but it's still LSU. They beat Florida. They beat a a really strong Louisville team. But they lost their QB. But again, you talk about cupcake schedule. We got Southern Miss in here. You know, Syracuse is a a conference game, but still. North Alabama. How does North Alabama get scheduled this late in the year? This, this, This is what I'm talking about when it comes to you have to pad your stats. And that was the thing that used to happen back in the day with college football. You used to have to not only beat teams, but beat them down, blow them out embarrassed them and you would schedule those teams that you knew you could put up big numbers against in your schedule because you had to impress the voters, impress the people that uh, vote in the polls. It's the same thing now. You've had to impress the playoff committee. Nothing's changed. It's just a different group of people in one centralized group of people who are now judging. So that's how you get North Alabama on Florida state schedule at the end of November. Okay. That's how you get. Let's look at all the cupcakes for all these schools. Let's go to Michigan. Right. UNLV. Why the hell is Michigan playing UNLV? This is not basketball. This is football. Okay. Cupcake. You can find a couple of these on damn near every roster, okay? Bama. What's this, Middle Tennessee State? Chattanooga. What the hell is Chattanooga doing on Alabama's schedule? Again, the same weekend. The same weekend Florida State played North Alabama. Alabama's playing Chattanooga. Georgia, Ball State. Why are they playing Ball State? Why? University of Alabama, Birmingham? Why? UT Martin. I don't even know what school that is. What school is that? UT Martin Skyhawks, the Big South. Why is Georgia playing them? Because they have to. Because they have to look good to the committee and they have to look good throughout and They have to pad the stats. I know why Texas is playing Rice. Why is Texas playing Wyoming? Why? Would love for someone to tell me that. Why is Texas playing Wyoming? I know why they're playing Rice. That's local. Why are they playing Wyoming? I know why they're playing Baylor. That's local. Why are they playing Wyoming? You can go through every top school's uh, schedule and you can see one or two games where it's like up, that was for the committee. They scheduled that cupcake and it's a payoff. We hear all the time of these schools getting paid off. Like Michigan has been doing that for years. I mean, they learned with, with App State, they learned, they learned not to play around with App State no more. But that, that's been the thing. Y'all come take this beating so we can look good. We'll give you a bag so you can take that home. Did someone bring, who, who played a, uh, someone played a HBCU. In the SEC this year, it just blew the doors off them. And I was like, yo, dogs, that check ain't worth that. I don't know who it was. I, I, I won't bother looking it up. But th- this is what it's coming to with the college sports thing, right? So from the shamaturism of, you know, NIL and what it really is, which is just free agency. And it's only free agency for the best of the best. It does not trickle down. Then you go into the whole concept of coaching and what does coaching actually mean at this level. When coaches are thought to sell you on the dream of making it to the league, when now you could get a bag off rip as an a 18, 17, 18, 19 year old. What's the allure? What 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 is going to make these kids commit? The cream of the crop is letting you know it's about the bread first or the opportunity for me to get a bag first by playing over everything else. The whole thing of pride, tradition, rivalry, history, that to me matters when you're a three-star and below. You're a three-star and below, that stuff matters. You're a four five-star, it's about the bag. Who gonna give me that car dealership? Who gonna give me them trips? Who gonna take care of me and my mans in them if I, if I tell them to? Who gonna do that? Well, is gonna call for them. As these coaches and in these in these programs don't have the bread that is alleged to be thought like Chip Kelly has has been on the record saying, yo, it's it's hard. It is very hard to recruit in today's era because you're paying this back up front. Like before, back in the day, you slot a little brown paper bag. You might give him 100 K. You might give your, your blue chip recruit 100 K. And that might hold him down for a little bit. Right. Take care of his family and all of that. that that's fine. But over the years, you would give more bags. Now it's different. You're committing M's up front. M's up front. And then more NIL deals. Like, it's not just one NIL deal. It's multiple NIL deals. So the college landscape, it's nasty. It's as toxic as it's ever been. Don't let them try to sell you on the fact of, you know, now that players are getting paid, everything is all good. And let's not fall into the thing of this college football playoff. The system has always been janky. It has no other choice. There's 130-something Division I teams. There is no way to actually figure out who is the best. No such justifiable, logical way exists. It is always going to be subjective, but it always leads to great debate, and that's why we're here. I'm going to read to you what the definition for habitual is. Let me jump right into the screen. Habitual, for those who are on YouTube, but for the podcast audience, I'll read it. Done or doing constantly or as a habit, i.e., this pattern of behavior has become habitual. It also means regular, usual. So yes, when I call the man y'all call Draymond Green, the man that y'all want to put in the Hall of Fame, when I call him a habitual nut hitter, that's exactly what he is. I mean, how many times do I have to say it? How many times do I have to spell it out? This is who this man is. Yes, he punched Yusuf Nurkic in the face. Uh, yes, he got ejected uh, just two weeks After a five-game suspension for, you know, putting a sleeper hold on Rudy Gobert. Like, this is just who this man is. And I don't care what he says on his pod. I don't care what people in the media try to cape for him. His his broadcast network partners try to cape for him. None of that shit matters. Look at the body of work. The compilations are all throughout the internet. They're all over the timeline. You could just punch in, uh, well, pun intended, you can type in Draymond Green dirty, just like you could do the point fraud and put in Chris Paul dirty. And you could see tons of comp compilations. It's becoming the same thing for the habitual nut hitter, a.k.a. Draymond Green. Now, this is a man who averages in his career a triple single. And in the game where he punched Nurkic in the face, he was on his way to another triple single. Matter of fact, he was on his way to a quadruple single. Because this is who he is. Y'all want to put him in a Hall of Fame because he played with Steph and Clay And then KD for a little bit. Even though he ran off KD. So, there's been a lot of talk about this indefinite suspension. What does this mean? What, what this means is he's going home to take a break. Do I think he's really going to be in therapy and, and all that type of stuff? I don't know. I don't know. I'm sure he'll sit in front of somebody and have to talk to them and be open and transparent and contrite and all that type of stuff. But what about the habitual nut hitter makes you think that will be genuine? What makes you think the man who was an undersized power forward, that was what a second round pick that has risen to make max contract money is now all of a sudden going to change his stripes. This is who he is. And he told you after the game that he's not apologizing because why should he apologize? This is what got him to this level. This is what got him the opportunity when Mark Jackson was the coach. This is what got him the opportunity to flourish even more once Steve Kerr came in there. This is what made him the dude that y'all want to put in the Hall of Fame. This is the dude, this is what made him be the dude that y'all want to put up on cable TV, and pods, and consume his content. This is what birthed. This is what made him. This type of anger, this type of angst, is what made him who he is. And if we're now going to say, oh, well, this is too far. It's been too far. He kicked LeBron in the nuts in the finals when they were up. Come on there. Two drops, for y'all. <laughs> Like, that's a real thing that happened. They were up 3-1, and he decided to kick LeBron in the nuts. If that didn't tell you right then and there, oh, this dude's Looney Tunes. Oh, this dude's a little different. He's a little off. That's a real thing that happened. And if that was an isolated, if that was an isolated incident, I could walk that back and say, you know what, hey man, he got caught up in the moment. Shit happens. But again, when you could look up compilations, and it's minutes long, and it's different eras of TV, like it's SD footage, it's HD footage, it's 4K footage, it's 8K downsampled to 4K footage. Of Draymond habitually being a dirty player, then it's no longer isolated. It's no longer, oh, maybe he has a small problem. No, some people have attitude problems. That's a real thing. This is something different. This is something that's egregious, more egregious than that, in my opinion. And that's all this is, is my opinion. Because he's never apologized for this, even in this thing, he he apologized to, to to Yusuf Nurkic because he didn't intend to hit him, right? Like he didn't intend to do that to him. But he said even in that, even in his apology to Nurkic, he said that he doesn't apologize. I'm reading this quote: "I'm not one to apologize for things that I meant to do." Okay, so let's try to navigate. When's the last time you heard him apologize to any, for anything? Did he apologize for Jordan Poole? No. Let's take it back to the beginning. Did he apologize for kicking LeBron in the nuts? No. Did he apologize for running KD off? No. All the other countless dirty antics, has he ever apologized? He's been ejected six times. He's been suspended multiple times. I counted up the fines. He's lost over $2.2 million in fines and suspensions. And this is the first time we're getting an apology. And I firmly believe the only reason why he apologized is because it was just two weeks prior when he had Rudy Gobert in a sleeper. If he didn't have Rudy Gobert in a sleeper two weeks prior... He was not going to apologize to no use of Nurkic. Because you could talk about inadvertently bowing somebody, whatever, whatever, or trying to sell a foul. And maybe like that, that's a jigma thing that does actually happen in ball. But to that level, with that ferocity, with that type of impact, you're not selling me, bro. You're not, you're not trying to lie to me and tell me that I was because <laughs> you was trying to sell the foul. No, bro. No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. And, and another reason why I think he apologized, because when he put Rudy Gobert in a sleeper, Kerr and your man's Wardell both said publicly, this has to stop. So the brain trust, the leaders of this team. Now, Steph is not a rah-rah, galvanized, the force type thing, even though, you know, people talked about what he said Uh, a couple of years ago when they were facing Boston heading into that playoff, into that final series, whatever. But Steph is not normally that guy. But for him to stand 10 toes down and say this has to stop. Although it's kind of funny you're saying that now and you've enabled this man his entire career. Like it's cool to say that now. I would have said it after he kicked LeBron in the nuts when we up 3-1. After we blow that 3-1 lead, when we were 73-9 and in and lied, I would have told him then, I don't care if you're going to go recruit Kevin Durant, but that type of shit, but you're kicking LeBron in the nuts when we up 3-1. That has to stop now. And then on, he's went on and has done it for another five, six years since then. So it's cool that Kerr and, and Wardell are trying to stand 10 toes down now, but they have fostered this. They have enabled this. They got this man another bag on the way out. Four years, 100 mil. Four years, 100 mil. No other team worth a damn was going to give him that. He probably could have got a sorry team to give him that. But no good team would ever pay that kind of money for no habitual nutheader. But that's where the dubs are now responsible for letting this dub thing run out. This alleged dynasty now has to run itself out where we're going to have to, well, we're definitely going to pay Steph because Steph is still Steph to a, to a to a degree. Clay has clearly diminished. He is streaky as hell. He's not the automatic guy that could bomb away for, what, 60 points on 11 dribbles or, you know, hitting 12, 13 threes in a game. Like, it, it, it's lightning in a bottle when that happens now. That used to be the norm. And he can lock your best wing defender while doing all of that. All of that is a thing of the past. By no decree of him, just injuries of father the time. And now you have this dude who averages a triple single, who people want to put in the Hall of Fame. I mean, last year he averaged eight, seven, and seven as a 32-year-old undersized power forward. His defensive rating was worse than Nikola Jokic. Y'all keep talking about his defensive impact, his, his voice on the court. He's a defensive coordinator on the floor. He had a worse defensive rating than Nikola Jokic. The one they got love to kill and prop up Embiid because of his defensive rating. Draymond Green's defensive rating was worse than Jokic's. But you keep telling me about what his defense impact means to the current year dubs, not years ago when it, when his defensive rating was was top tier. Now it's not. It's not top tier. It's slightly above average. And yet you're gonna go give that a hundred mil? He's thirty-two years old. Look, man, I I, I understand. The concept of letting, giving Wardell what he wants. Clearly, Wardell wants him there because he's enabled this to build and become the monster that it is today. But at some point, it's like, all right, Steph, look, we'll get rid of Jordan Poole. We thought he was going to be a splash cousin. It didn't work. Cool. We'll take that hit. We'll take that L. But this this Draymond shit's got to stop. This Draymond shit has got to stop, bruh. Because this dude gave us 8, 7, and 7. He's 32 years old. He ain't growing no taller. He's only going to get older and slower. And you, we, we have to keep paying him because you want to keep doing dribble handoffs with him? You want to keep coming off curls with him, feeding you the rock when he's at the top of the three-point line? We just going to keep doing that? but you also want us to win though. We've had to chip away some of the young pieces that we've built up and drafted over the years while y'all were running around winning chips and and doing this whole dynasty thing. We were on the low drafting hoopers. And to keep this thing together, we have had to siphon off some of those hoopers. Kaminga is supposed to be one of them. Superstar, I don't know about all that, but he has the acumen of being a, a real starter on this team. But because they had to go get Wiggins, right? Had to go get A. Wiggins. Now there's whispers about, you know, what what's what's A Wiggins' commitment? I look, man, it's a lot of things going on with with the dubs. You know, they have all of this right now. Let me see. I have some stats here. So, cuz obviously when you're talking about the dubs. Like in this whole Draymond thing and and Wardell and and Steve Kerr and Clay and all of this. Is this an attempt to disguise the fact that the dubs are low-key looking flabby and sick? They're looking like they're 36 in the karate class. Draymond Green on that Taibo, Paleo, or my favorite P90X trying to work it out. This is his third ejection already this year. Because prior to putting the sleeper on Rudy, he had that thing with Donovan Mitchell, with with Spider Mitchell, where you hit him in the back of the head or something, and then he tried to play it off like nothing happened, and, you know, Spider came running down after him and, you know, pressed him. But it's all this just a smokescreen disturbing from the fact that, you know, the Dubs have played about 20, 27, 20, 26, 27 games. Of those games, Clay has only missed about one or two games. Steph, the same, maybe two or three. And this team is like in the playing range. So we can't blame injuries. We can't blame that star. Their stars are disgruntled because they haven't been paid. I know Clay has a thing where he wants another extension, but he's been taken care of up until this point by the Dubs. Yet and still, this is a team that has been more or less at full strength. And they looking like a whole bunch of mid. So is this Draymond, I'm just going to keep blowing off steam every chance I get, just a screen to disguise the fact that the Dubs... Aren't really the dubs anymore. Now, Steph has looked way better since Habitual Nutheader sat down. Like, way better. <laughs> way clever. Some, some of Mayweather. Mm. Shout out to Hollow the Don Queens. Um, but if you're, if you're looking at what the I wrote this down, I think this was last weekend when I was trying to like build up my notes, right? So, this is as of last week, okay? So, for full disclosure, right? the dubs philosophy during this run has been predicent on our threes are more than your twos, right? We're going to prioritize the three. We don't care about the mid range. We're going to get to the rim, make layups or get fouled and make fee throws, right? So threes, layups and fee throws. That's been the dubs whole thing during their run here, right? So as of last week, Right. Well, when I started getting my notes together to to come back and bring y'all this episode, uh, they are fifteenth. Okay, so that's middle of the road. They are fifteenth in both free throw percentage and three pointers and three point percentage. So the team that is known for threes and bunches with two of the best shooters, if not the two best three point shooters of all time, and at one point the top three of this era anyway, best three-point shooters of all time. That team is now middle of the road. And feed throw percentage. They have guys in Steph and Clay that are always in the conversation of 50, 40, 90 guys. That team is now 15th in free throw percentage. And if you throw in two pointers two pointers so subtract the threes just two pointers they are 25th 25th in two point percentage two five is this y'all kings and not lighting the beam the sack kings but is this y'all kings But I mean, if, if you don't like those metrics, if, if you want like advanced metrics, I'm, I'm on my MIT shit, I'm on my Mensa shit, Sam. I want advanced analytics. Don't give me the old school shit. Those numbers don't mean nothing. That was when plumbers were playing. Okay, okay, say less. Offensive rating. Again, this is as of last week. Offensive rating, 15th. Okay, so you want old school metrics? They're mid. You want advanced analytics? They're mid. Okay. Defensive rating. 17th. They're mid. This is with the defensive triple single guy that y'all want to pull in the Hall of Fame. 17th. Defensive rating. And if we want to get into again the offensive stuff about how you know threes and bunches and Steph and Clay and A Wiggins and okay effective field goal percentage 21st I mean dogs y- y'all tell me y'all tell me y'all tell me bro like I think the 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 day of the the day of the dubs is dead You know what it is? Man, it's glad to be back. It feels good to be back. I appreciate those who reached out. Things were where life was life. And man, that's that's really the title of this episode. Life was life and had to go through some things and figure some things out. But we were able to bounce back and get back on our feet. Everything is good now. Everything is on the up and up. Um, Salute to those who did reach out and check in. I really do appreciate that. Some of y'all might be hearing some of this information for the first time hey man life be life and i had to move how i had to move um but yeah so glad to be back glad to be where i am now it's been an upgrade all the way around um so if you want to tap in tap in we're getting back in with the video content um also outside of just sports we're getting into just video tech all types of tech content as well so if you're into that tap in on the YouTube channel for that as well. I may try to even sprinkle in some of that here on the pod. Don't know yet. Still trying to navigate that. But I appreciate everyone who has uh, held me down, reached out, uh, reached out with words of encouragement, words of congratulations on news of the new gig and a new opportunity. So, you know, I appreciate all of y'all, man. So for the Sandeep podcast, I am Sanders May Jr. I'm out. Salute.